This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of Numbers in the 21st chapter. Uh, an interesting and odd little piece of the history of the Israelites as they were making the journey through the wilderness from their captivity in Egypt to the land of promise. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked on the bronze serpent, he lived. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's New Testament reading is from the book of the Gospel of John, beginning chapter 3, verse 14. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord, beginning at John three fourteen. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. We begin with a question this morning. What if, what if a group from HGTV, the cable network, came a calling to tell you that you, yes, you, have been selected as the recipient of this year's dream home. All you have to do is sign a release 
and pick up the keys. Or, or imagine this, what if a contingent from Publishers Clearinghouse, accompanied by their media pool, of course, rang your doorbell and handed you that great big check that they carry around in their van? All you have to do is take it to the bank and cash it. Now, most, most of the people I know would be happy to have seen Ed McMahon or Drew Carey or whoever it is nowadays who is the face of PCH standing there on the porch with a mob of photographers and a big check. After recovering from their initial shock, folks would understandably be ecstatic. You may have seen the teasers that they run with the winners jumping up and down or screaming or crying or fainting or some combination of all the above. Now, I don't know, though, of too many who would think about either looking out the front door and deciding they weren't going to open it or having once opened it, telling the folks standing there, announcing their good fortune, oh, well, thanks, but no, no thanks. Closing that door and going back to whatever it was they had been doing before the interruption. As my mama used to say, son, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Your mama probably said it too. As a somewhat dutiful son, I tried to follow that bit of maternal wisdom, while still being wary of strangers bearing gifts. Now, all this is wrapped up in the verses from the Gospel according to John that surround what is quite possibly the single most familiar verse in all the New Testament, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. You know how it goes? With an introduction like that, we just know that God is up to something good for us. Despite the widespread notion held by many who would have nothing to do with the church, the biblical story which we have been entrusted to proclaim is a gospel of good news. There are those outright atheists who have heard the stories of Scripture and arrived at a conscious, and they would say, rational decision of outright rejection of any and all deities. Right? There are other skeptics who have a particular axe to grind with the God of the Old and or the New Testament. Even some of the top biblical scholars in prestigious public and private universities in this country, and I would imagine in others too, do not have faith, trust, or belief in that God who is the subject of the very texts that they are studying and teaching. Perhaps many such folks are just too smart for their own good. By that I mean so absorbed in the minute details, in the ambiguities, and even in the contradictions that exist in the thousands of pages of 66 disparate books penned by dozens of hands covering thousands of years of human history, and they are missing out on the sum of the parts, a sum that is greater than the whole. This 
This whole is greater than the sum of the parts that make it up. The whole story of Scripture has been given to us as a gift. And it does not hinge on whether or not a particular I is dotted or a T is crossed. The equation itself is equal to the one who even from before the time he created it so loved the world. One of the most beautiful things about this morning's New Testament text from a beautifully written gospel is the simple, the succinct, and the special way in which it encapsulates the truth of the whole of the Christian message. It begins with a, a poignant and fitting Lenten reminder as we are in the midst of that season. It reminds us of the cross. There is pain. There is suffering. And these live at the heart of the Christian message. And in case you might have missed it somewhere along the way, there is pain and there is suffering as a part of our human condition as well. There always has been. There always will be. There was pain and there was suffering among the Israelites coming out of slavery and toward the promised land. There was pain and suffering in the midst of those living in Jesus' day. There was pain and suffering in Jesus' own life. There continues to be pain and suffering in our own today. But we know a God who is not above intimate knowledge, having experienced pain and suffering, one that can therefore commiserate with us even as he comforts us and heals our pain. Our reading from Numbers on the story of the snakes amidst the Israelite again illustrates that though this God is just, this God is also merciful. He makes a way for his often rebellious people when there had been no way. The gospel writers remind us that he has made the ultimate way through the cross, the pain and the suffering of which is born out of a father's great love for us, his children. A love so great that he would not withhold from us that which was the most precious thing to him, his beloved, the only begotten, the one who was present with God in the beginning. This is the one who was sent from the realms of glory to take on flesh and dwell with men. An aside here, as I was typing up the text for this morning's sermon, my fingers flew off the last word of that line a bit too quick, and it came out like this. This is the one who was sent from the realms of glory to take on flesh and dwell with me. When I went back to reread the words on the page, I thought this was a powerful way of understanding just what had happened. And so I invite you to, to hear it for yourselves in this way. This gospel, John's, opens with this very observation, the 14th verse in the first chapter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among men, 
And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth, means, and the word became flesh and dwelt with me. As the gospel story unfolds from there, it reveals to us how this one who was sent from the Father to dwell with men, with us, came not to condemn us, but to save us, that we might not perish but have life everlasting. It's not, mind you, that we won't die. It's that we are being saved from perishing. We still are subject to the wages of sin, that being death, but we are being saved from perishing. These are, I think, two very different and distinct concepts in the mind of the writer of the fourth gospel. We are from dust to dust. We shall return. And we are reminded with about a month now to go until April the 15th that there are two things in this life which are still certain, and one of them is death. But for those in Christ, though we share a death with Christ, as he also has died, we shall share a resurrection with Christ, just as he also is risen. Now that's so much better than even the most extreme home makeovers. It's so much better than the greatest dream home. It's far greater than all the publisher's clearinghouse checks ever issued. And yet, and yet, there are still so many people who will not open their doors to receive the gift which Jesus has come bearing. Why? Why? Why would anyone in their right mind not want this? I may not be the best one to answer, for to be honest with you, I cannot begin to fathom why. Even though I know folks who are non-Christian or even anti-Christian, I probably couldn't say what would drive them to choose denial of a promise that is so freely offered. But the author of this gospel may offer us some insight and wisdom on this when he observes. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. Could it be? Could it be that there are people who are so wrapped up in themselves that they would not, that they could not bring themselves either to rely on outside help or to entertain an offer of assistance from anyone else? Can it be that there are those who are so committed to living in the moment, to living for the experience, for the pleasure of self, that they can't be bothered to consider what the impact of such an existence is having on anyone else or what it might ultimately lead to for them. I'm reminded of Ginny, the romantic interest of Forrest Gump, who spent too much of her life lost 
in a bubble of self, self-seeking, self-serving, self-loathing, and all the while, this innocent, gentle soul of a man was patiently wooing her, forgiving and not judging until she had at last run out of time and space to run and came back, finally, to die well. Here, in the season of Lent, we are invited yet again to have a look in the mirror to evaluate whether we are running or hiding or ignoring the gifts of God for the people of God. The call to repent is amplified in these few weeks. And Leslie Newbigin, the 20th century theologian, missionary, and author I have spoken of before, does a great service to the church when he ties together these themes as he wrote in his book, Foolishness to the Greeks, the initial call to followers of Christ was to repent, to be converted, to have a radically new mindset, to face the opposite way as the necessary precondition for being able to recognize the new reality, namely the presence here and now of the reign of God. We have to repent to receive. We have to reorient our minds in order to want to answer that knock, the ring of that doorbell, rather than to continue doing whatever it is we've been doing in life. We have to give in to the ministrations of the Holy Spirit whispering into our hearts if we're to respond to the persistent calling of our God, the one who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life eternal. And for that above all else, we may truly say thanks be to God and amen.